Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast, a podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. Sandra, it is so, so lovely to have you here. Sandra Hinojosa Ludwig. It is so lovely to have you and see your face outside of just what I've received in the email of your photos and everything. How are you today? I'm doing amazing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. I'm really excited because I was a dunce. Let me just, first of all, before we get into the wine and the chisme about your book, I was a dunce because you offered to send me a copy of the book and I completely forgot to take you up on that offer until yesterday, till a day before our interview, like a dummy, like pinche pendeja, right? You know, come on, (laughs) really? You're going to talk to somebody about that? But I was able to kind of skim through it. So I'm really excited to just hear about it because now I do have a copy of it to really hear about it from you and hear like what you were going for through it and really be able to kind of get your perspective from that. And then I feel like I'll be able to go into the book with a really different perspective. So mm-hmm. I'm doing it a little bit backwards, but it's okay. <laughs> Before we get into the chisme, we always start, I know you know, because you said you've listened to the podcast. We always start with the wine. What are you drinking today? Because I know I'm really excited to hear about what you're drinking today. Yeah, so I live in Canada, actually. I'm, I'm originally from Mexico, born and raised, but I live in Canada. So I thought, I'm going to bring a Canadian wine. So in Canada, they do this special kind of wine that's called ice wine. So basically, they leave the grapes and they don't pick them until January when it's like minus 40 degrees Celsius outside. That's when they pick them. And they're extremely sweet. So this is a dessert wine. It's already after dinner here in Canada. So I thought I'm going to bring a Canadian wine and have myself some dessert. That is so cool. So yes, like you said, for people that aren't aware, ice wine is a sweeter wine, usually a dessert wine. I'm not a big sweet wine person, but I'm really interested in trying it. I would definitely try it just to say I did. I don't know how it will taste on my palate because I'm not a big sweets person, but I still do want to try it. Because I always feel like you can never say you like something or don't unless you try it. I agree. To be honest, ice wine wasn't my favorite when I first tried it. I think it's more of an acquired taste, to be honest, because it is really sweet. Yeah. So it's just, you know, I have just a tiny little bit just to kind of like savor it. And that's about it. Yay. We'll savor the wine. Like we'll savor this interview. (laughs) (laughs) So I am drinking Armitage Vineyard 2018 
reserve estate Pinot Noir. They actually only made 160 cases of this wine. So this one, it has hints of dark cocoa. And anybody that knows, knows I'm not a chocolate person, but this is a really good wine. I've tasted it before and it's not like overwhelming. It's just very hint. Dark cherry, mint, and vanilla bean are evident on the nose along with hints of tobacco and forest floor. Now, I know that sounds funny when you say forest floor, but I'm the kind of person that like one of my favorite smells is like that after the rain on the concrete to me, and I love like freshly mowed grass. So to me that I enjoy that smell. And then it says round, supple mouthfeel with well-integrated tannins and a balanced acid profile. All the components are in good symbiosis, resulting in a delicate and balanced finish that lingers on the tongue. So this actually comes from the Santa Cruz Mountains, and the vineyard it comes from is the Heart o' the Mountain. So it was aged in 30% new French oak for 10 months. It's a really good wine. I'm, I'm very excited about it. So, salud, Sandra. And salud. I have to give my, these are always my sound effects. There we go. Ooh, nice. <laughs> salud. Since, since we can't cheers in person, that's how we're going to, that's how we're going to do it. Mm. You know what? I'm not going to lie. I'm very fortunate that I get to try all these wines and they're really good. I'm pretty honest when I say like, oh, I'm not a big sweet wine person. And if I taste something and I'm like, oh, this would probably work for somebody else. But man, the wines that I've been getting lately have been really good. <laughs> this is no exception. It's really good. I And I'm a, I love Pinot Noir. So like I said, I'm super excited. Let me give your bio. You are a certified life coach from the Transformational Arts College in Toronto, Canada. You are known as the Manifesting Chica on Facebook, Instagram, and then you also have a non-profit coaching program that helps Latinas intentionally manifest a life that loves them back. Can I say how much I'm in love with that sentence? I love it too. It is amazing. So through individual and group coaching, you have connected with women all over the Americas. And I like how you say the Americas as well. <laughs> But I love that. Let me go back to that one sentence in regards to manifesting a life that loves you back. Because I think manifestation has become such a huge thing over the last few years. I think particularly over the pandemic, right? Because people are having time to look into themselves and do all of these things that maybe they wouldn't have done previously. You can manifest a life, but manifesting a life that you love just, it hits differently. So, and a life that loves you back. It sounds so effortlessly, right? It sounds like yes. you're just letting yourself be loved. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, you know what? Let me kind of just intro the book, but I want to get a backstory of, because you are originally from Mexico, you live in Canada. Girl, I need to know like how that happened, first of all. <laughs> But you're the author of a book called Chica, Why Not? How to Live with Intention and Manifest a Life that Loves You Back. And what you say is, for those who feel stuck in life, who don't see a way forward, who don't believe they deserve to claim their dreams, you're like, Chica, why not? Mm -hmm. And you really give, you have six chapters and within each chapter, you really give tools in regards to help people figure out. So before we get into the book, like I said, I'm very interested in 
how you go from Mexico to Canada. That's my first question. How the heck do you go from, and you just bypass the U.S. You're like, oh, screw this. Let me go to Canada. No, that, that was the thing. I actually live together with Mexico. I've lived in five countries. Okay, so where else have you lived? So I was born and raised in Mexico. Then I lived in Germany for a year. I lived in the United States for five years. Then I moved to Canada. Then I moved to the U.K. And I lived in the U.K. for two and a half years and then moved back to Canada. I used to work in the corporate world. And it's normally in the corporate world, the thing when you work for multinationals to be moved around mm -hmm. or to look for other careers. So when I graduated first, I went to Germany for an internship, came back and worked in Mexico, quit and moved to the United States to get my master's. Then I was hired by a company that had the headquarters in Canada. I was working in Kansas and that company actually ended up I know that well, you're, you're in like State. such random places too. That's so funny. Well, I went to I went to Kansas State for my master's, and then I was just working in this little place called Emporia, Kansas. And then from there, after a year of being in Emporia, they are like, "Would you move to the corporate office in Mississauga, which is a suburb of Toronto?" And I say, "Of course." So they moved me up to Canada. I worked with them for another year and a half, couple of years. And then I moved over to the same company I used to work with in Mexico. And they were the ones that after about eight years, they transferred me to the UK. I was in the UK, in Kingsland in the UK for two and a half years. And then I moved back to Canada. Wow. In 2016. And no, you've been there 2013, since. sorry. 2013, I moved back to Canada and I've been here since. Yeah. Wow, that's so crazy. I've worked with a lot of Canadians because I used to work mm -hmm. for a hockey team. So obviously, oh, no yeah, I used to work for a hockey team. So I used to do like the PR and the sponsorship coordination and all of that. And the first thing, tell me if this tripped you out, like it tripped me out. Because you know how the people like joke that Canadians say, eh, it, they mm -hmm. really do. So when they I would really meet, do. yeah, they really do. So <laughs> the first time I hung out with the hockey players, they would say something, they would ask me a question you know, hey, Jessica, blah, 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 eh? And I just started giggling uncontrollably. <laughs> and they didn't know why. And I was just like, you really do say that. <laughs> they <laughs> and do. Just... And they also apologize about everything. You know, you're opening the door and, and you kind of like don't coordinate the timing right. And they're like, oops, sorry. You know, you bump them. And they're like, oops, sorry. They're the ones that apologize. Yeah, they, I would get... They apologize all the time and they say A all the time. Yes. I would get like, knock on my door. Jessica, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like over apologizing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt yeah. you. And I'm like, dude, this is my job. You're not interrupting me. What do you need? Like, how can I help you? Canadians are, are really nice for the most yeah. part. I dated one of the hockey players and... He was a different breed of Canadian, I would say. <laughs> My husband is Canadian. My is husband he? is Canadian. Yeah. So yeah. he's a really good guy. I have a question. So from what I understand, when you grow up in Mexico, mm -hmm. the education system is very different. Mm -hmm. And here we go and we have everything's like general education until you declare a major. But if I'm correct, and please yeah. correct me from what I understand. In Mexico, 
you get to go to college and whatever you decide to do like immediately. So if you're like, oh, I want to be a doctor, you like instantly are going to college for that. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So in my case, I actually did chemical engineering. From the very beginning, I knew I was a chemical engineer. That was my program. I did take a lot of similar classes with other engineering at the beginning. But I would say by my third semester, I was already taking chemical engineering classes. Do you think that puts more pressure on kids or less pressure on kids to decide what they, because part of me feels like, oh, that's awesome. Like they instantly kind of go into what they want to do. And so often here, people just declare a major and then never work in that major, right? Yeah. So how do you feel like that? Did that put more pressure on you to say, okay, well, I've declared I'm going to do chemical engineering. So now that's kind of it. For myself, anyway, I knew what I was good at. I was good at chemistry. I was good at math. And I knew chemical engineering is kind of fun. So I went into that. Um, (laughs) Chemical engineering is kind of fun. Those words would never cross my lips unless I'm repeating you. (laughs) (laughs) But then I don't know. Like, I'm thinking back to my friends. I don't know a lot of my friends that changed me or... I probably know like a couple, like I think pretty much anyone that goes into university, they are pretty well settled in what they're going to do. I probably only know like two or three people that changed majors when we were in university, but it's also a different kind of space, right? Like in Mexico, very rarely you move away to go to university. Very rarely. You usually go to the university that's closest to you and you live with your parents. Or if you move away, you live with an aunt or an uncle, like it's very rare that you will see someone that takes off and goes to live in a different city to do university. Usually you stay in your hometown. That's very typical. It's not the norm. There are some exceptions, of course, but I will say most people just stay in their hometown to do university. And what part of Mexico did you grow up in? Monterrey. Monterrey. Oh, I've been there. I've been to Monterrey. I've driven to Monterrey. That was a miserable drive. So let me, it's so funny because in Texas, you have Leon and Nuevo Leon, right? Yeah. And it cracks me up that the Leon side is the Texas side. The Nuevo Leon side is the Mexican side. And I would, I would joke because we drove through there and I would joke saying, Leon is so miserable that Mexico was like, well, this is new Leon. This is Nuevo Leon. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, depending what time you travel, the pools have been also like really hot. It gets so hot in Monterey. Like yeah. it's not even funny. We just went, I went with a friend because she was dropping off her kids to their grandma. And mm. so I went with her and then we had to drive back. And whew, that's a long drive when you're in like in far, I was coming from Dallas making that and going. Oh yeah. Back. That's a long drive from that's Dallas. That's a yeah. really long drive. <laughs> I think people underestimate, right? Like, yes, technically that's basically like if you're coming from California to Tijuana, that's basically like driving from San Francisco to Tijuana, driving from Dallas to, and actually Dallas to Monterrey is actually a lot longer drive than that. Yeah. I would think Dallas to Monterrey is probably 12 hours, maybe. Yeah. 10, 12 hours. I, yeah. I haven't done that drive in a long time, but I would say it's 10, 12 hours. I know to Houston is like eight, 10 hours. 
But, you know, you're kind of used to driving those distances, right? Like when you live over there, that's usually what you do. Growing up, what was the expectations that your parents had for you in regards to, like, did you know really young, at a young, early age, that science and math were things that you were good at and you knew you wanted to do something in that? And then how, did your parents support you in that? Were they like, yes, that's awesome? Or were you trying or being relegated to more traditional type of role? I grew up middle class and my dad was the first in his family ever to go to university, right? So my dad was a doctor. He grew up quite poor, actually, both in the U.S. and Canada, they would go back and forth. And in the summer, he would actually go and work in the crops and then come back to Mexico for the school. And so because we grew up middle class, my mom didn't have a university degree because we grew up middle class. There was this huge pressure for all of the kids to go to university, right? That was something that from a very young age, I knew that was kind of like what I was going to do, go to university. When it came time to pick the school that I was going to go to and everything, I really, really like communications. I really, you know, I used to do a lot of artsy stuff when I was younger, like theater and dance and things like that. So I really wanted to work on television. And so I wanted to go and study communications. And my dad said, no. He said, no, you will not make money if you study communication. So he actually was the one that pushed me, the engineering side of things. And, you know, I was good at chemistry and math, which is why I chose chemical engineering. But, yeah, there was this expectation that I was going to go to university since I was little. But then when I grew up, there was this expectation that I wasn't going to make any money. You know, and for my dad, he grew up quite poor. So did my mom. It was really important that we continue that building that wealth, right? The generational wealth, because they didn't have any, right? So it was very important that we kept doing that. So... He just in his mind, he couldn't picture how I was going to make money being a communications major. Funny thing, my sister did end up going to university for a communications major and she's doing just fine. She's doing fine. But you Wait, know, how was your dad when she told him she was going to do communications? Was he okay oh, with that or was he like, ah, uh, no? Yeah, it was the same thing. He's like, uh, no. She went to university for architecture for one semester. She actually flunked all the classes. Like, she's like, nope. On I'm purpose? Sure. Yeah. I got to architecture. <laughs> That's awesome. That. So she went and she like completely flunked all the classes. <laughs> and then my dad was like, what? And she's like, so can I go to communications now? So she did. Okay, I'm gonna yeah. give snaps to her because that's a boss move right there. I was never that assertive at all. Like, that, like, wow. Okay, let me just yeah. let's put it into context. I think most of our audience understands like how, what a big deal that is. Yeah. But for those people who do not come from a Latino family, particularly a family that's not just Latino family, but a Mexican, like in Mexico, that shit does not happen. Like no, you, I know, I know. It was that definitely. It was a lot of tension for a while in the home. So my dad too, he really wanted us to go to this particular university, which was a private university in Mexico. So I went to that. So when my sister was going to go to university, she signed up to that university. And then when she flunked all the classes, my dad was like, "You're on your own. I'm done with you." So she ended up signing up to the um, state university. And she did her communications major. And she's doing amazing. She's doing really, really good. Where, at what point did your dad come around? 
I think probably after about a year, because I, I know that he did offer her to go back to the private university. And my sister like, yeah, all my friends are here. I'm pretty happy here. But she did well. Wow. That is so crazy. Were you ever envious of that? Like of how she just was like, you know, okay, yeah, I'll go. I'm going to go for an architect. Were you ever like, man, I wanted to do communications. Why didn't I do that? I talk a little bit about it in the book. So something I really wanted in the book is I wanted the word intention in the cover because we can all live a life like what you were talking. We can all create a life. But there is such a difference when you create it intentionally, when you're very connected with who you are and what you want, and you go after that unapologetically, right? I think I was never like that. Like I really didn't become intentional about my life until probably my 30s. I had a few moments here and there, like, for example, when I quit my job and I moved to the United States to get my master's. But I always care probably way too much about what my family thought, about what my parents thought, about what anyone thought. And so I was always the good girl. I was always la niña buena, you know, like behaving, getting the grades. Yeah, behaving, getting the grades and all the things. Yeah, I can understand that because I'm the oldest as well. But for some reason, I've kind of always been the wild card in my family as well. I did want my parents' approval. I did want, but then I was like, well, I'm going to do this on my own. If you don't believe in me, fine. Like, I remember being in eighth grade and being in math class, and I thought it was too easy. And going to my mom and saying, I want to be in a higher math class because they wouldn't let me without my mom's permission or without one of my parents' permission. And she was like, are you going to be okay? Do you want to do it? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I want to do it. I was always kind of the one dragging my parents to do stuff. I want to play sports. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I was always the one dragging my parents, opening the doors, and then my sisters would end up having to do it because I was doing it, right? Yeah. Or they would have to be at all of the things. Even if they weren't participating, they would have to be there. And then when I was 21, almost 22, I like totally just popped the thing. Hey, I'm moving to Texas. And my parents were like, what? So I feel like I don't know if I've always lived my life with intention. At some point, I felt like I've lived my life according, not necessarily according to my parents' plan, but according to- What felt good. Yeah, what felt good, just doing it. I've lived my life by the seat of my pants, kind of. You know, just like, oh, let's let's see what happens. Let's, you know, what's the worst that can happen? I'll move back. What's the worst? Like- That's kind of how I've lived until recently. I think in the last few years, I've been more intentional about that. So I definitely want to talk about that. But when you graduated in chemical engineering, how long is university when you're in Mexico? Is it three years or four years? So No, my program was four and a half years. And then when you were ready, when you were, did you already have offers by the time? I graduated in December, 1994. A month after I graduated was the big devaluation in Mexico. So tons of people lost their jobs. There were no jobs. So luckily, um, by that time, I had put a lot of effort with this organization. There was an exchange organization to, and you could go and, and move to another country. So through that, I actually got the internship in Germany. So while the whole mess was happening in Mexico, I moved to Germany for a year. And it was a paid internship. So they paid me to live there. Um, so it was enough to pay for my rent and my food and, you know, my beers. <laughs> because, you know, Germany. I mean, you're in Germany. 
Yeah. And Germany is the birthplace of Riesling wine. Yes, absolutely. So <laughs> Can't forget I that. Mean, can't forget that. So I was there for a year. So after I came back from Germany, things were a little bit better in Mexico. So within a few months, I got a job. And then I moved to Querétaro, which was a town that is like 12 hours. Now it's less. Now it's more like eight. They built a new highway from Monterey. And uh, I lived there for three years. And that's when I got into the food industry. So most of my career was in the food industry. And it was because of that job. And once I started in the food industry, I really loved the food industry. When I quit that job to move to the United States, it was to do a master's in food chemistry. So how do you use chemical engineering in the food industry? I mean, I know that right now there's so many things in regards to what's being put in our food, how it's grown, how it's processed, like all of those things. So how can you, in like layman's terms, if you, because I have no idea, right? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? What do you, how do you use chemical engineering when it comes to food? I would love to hear that. You know, everything is made of chemicals, right? So it, it comes to the same. It just, you know, when you're working in chemical engineering, you're working on inorganic and organic chemicals. When you move over to food, they're all organic. And they're usually just a few, right? Like there's carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. And they all make all kinds of food, anywhere from carbohydrates to fats to proteins. Proteins have a nitrogen in there. So basically, you just learn a new kind of chemistry, but it's, it's a still organic chemistry. My first job was more on the engineering side of things. So I was working in quality. I was managing the lab that they had on site, and I was doing some work in, in the factory. And then once I became, once I got my master's, I started getting more into product development and innovation, which was really the last few years of my career was actually innovation. That's what I worked on. So is there anything that you've worked on that we would we would know? You know, my last big project was Oreo Thins. So you probably really? have seen that. Yeah. So is that to make them? To like what did like how did that work? Yeah. So I was leading North American innovation for Mondelez at the time. I had a team of 17 people and the innovation team in my, in my company was the one doing all the products that were either new recipes that have never been done or new processes that have never been done. So even though Oreo exists, we didn't have Oreo thins. And that that in itself was the whole innovation behind it to make them thin so they wouldn't break, you know, like all of that. So there was a lot of process engineering that went into that. So my team designed that. That was That's my team. so cool. Yeah. Okay, so I must admit, I'm not a big chocolate person. Anybody who's listened to the podcast is like several episodes has probably heard me say that. However, for some reason, I can eat the Thin Mints, the Girl Scout cookie Thin Mints, because I feel like it doesn't necessarily taste like chocolate. It's more minty. Yeah. And I can have the Oreo Thins mint. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> it's a whole different, you know, it seems like, oh, it's just Oreo that is thin. But no, it's a whole different eating experience. It really is. Like the crunch and the It's crunchy. And the Yes, mm-hmm. because when I buy like an Oreo, there's too much cream. It's, it's very cakey, right? There's all those layers that you go through. And even the, the filling is very, quite a bit of fat in there. But this one is so delicate. It's a very delicate. Definitely Oreo Thins was made for women. It was designed for women. For really? Sure. Yeah. Oh my, I had no idea. Okay, you guys need to let me know. If you knew that Oreo Thins was made for women, like I want you to message me. I need to know that you knew this. But how 
just because of the thinness of it to make women not feel guilty? Or was there another reason? No, 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 no. It, it had nothing to do with permissibility. Okay. It was all around the mouthfeel, right? The Oreo is for the family after dinner sharing, right? Mm-hmm. Oreo thins is more as a little snack, like a little sneaking something kind of thing. And it's, it's just a very completely different mouthfeel. And even the flavors are very you know, feminine, right? There was the mint and there was a one time, I think there was a, I can't remember the flavors they were, but the, even, you know, some of the flavors that came out on the second round, I was already out of the company at the time. I left the corporate world in 2016. Even, you know, the flavors in the second round were very feminine flavored. And that was meant to be, it's a whole, there is so much science that goes into food, just like there is in wine, right? Right. It's all these flavors, there's all these mouthfeels, and each one of them is supposed to bring to you a different experience when you eat them. And the experience of eating Oreo versus eating double stuff versus eating, you know, Oreo thins versus eating Oreo fudge, the ones that are covered in chocolate, they're all very different experiences. You will eat them at different occasions because they're different experiences, right? I have never thought of it in that way. That is so cool. Like, I feel <laughs> this might sound dumb, but I literally feel like I'm just going to start really paying attention to, was this designed for this? Was this food designed for this? I mean, maybe probably for the next week and then I'll forget and then I'll go back I do. to my normal. I know. Thing. No, it's fascinating. I, you know, it's funny because I worked in the food industry for over 20 years and now, I, I mean, I play with food all the time. Like I'm always like, hmm, I love trying new products and trying to guess I was about to say, does that change your approach to when you eat food because you've worked in it for so long? Yeah, absolutely. Like I have a very developed palate when it comes to tasting uh, food products. So I can literally taste the food and probably I can get a lot of the ingredients that go in it just by tasting it or just by feeling the texture or just by understanding what kind of technology was made to do it. I can probably get a lot of the ingredients. I was talking to a friend of mine that makes this veggie meat alternate thing, I tried her product and I'm like, I can tell you, I guess four of the five ingredients the moment I tried it. Like I'm no. like, yeah, it's this and this and this and this. Speaking of like the meat, like the fake meat, right? The There's now, what are all of the different brands? There's Incognito or neat, something Incognito. Yeah, I and think then it's there called. is um, incredible yeah. And then there is, There's um, all these different kinds. Oh, and yeah. I've had a couple of them and some of them like, oh my gosh, you would not be able to tell. Yeah. But I've also heard that they're not necessarily healthier for you. But I mean, is a burger really healthy, right? It's just one of those things that you want to have every once in a while. Working in the food industry, even though you're no longer in the food industry anymore, how do you feel about those types of quote unquote meats? Alternate meats were not created for vegetarians. They are created for mainstream. These are the people that have the perception that eating veggie, you know, this what they call a meatless Monday is good for you, right? Mm-hmm. So they are the people that want to give themselves permission to have a burger, but they feel guilty if they have a beef burger. So they'll have, you know, uh, an impossible burger instead, right? Those meats, alternate meats, they were not created for veggie, vegetarians. They were created for mainstream. So that's the thing, right? Once you know the food industry, you can really understand the position in the product and what they were created for, who they were, even looking at the packaging, looking at the ingredient deck, looking at the claims, you can tell what that product, who 
they had in mind when they created that product. Like for example, you know, the Takis. Takis is created for millennials and for younger people. It's created for maybe teenagers even, right? Like, and, Well, I'm not going to lie. I, I love me some oh, Takis. They're addicted. <laughs> it's so hard. Say, and Mexicans. <laughs> and Mexicans. <laughs> okay, you know what? I, the, I love the Sabretones. Oh my God, I could eat an entire bag of the sabretones. And then I get that, like, they're so lemony. The yeah, tongue. the thing on your tongue. I know. Lordy, but it's so good. <laughs> I know. So I have a question. You've lived in all of these countries. Being una mexicana, mm-hmm. because you really are una mexicana. You're not, like, just Latina. You're not Mexican-American, Canadian-American, or Canadian-Mexican. But being una mexicana... And being in this type of industry, did you find the way that you were treated different in different countries? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, girl, I need that. Yeah, I've like literally been at. Tell me, how was that? Like, what countries you know, treated you the best? <laughs> and it's not the best, it's just different, right? And all countries, being a woman in a manufacturing environment or in a corporate world is already a place where you know, already kind of puts you behind, right? There's a lot of mansplaining, regardless of the country, regardless of the country. There is a lot of mansplaining. There is you a could lot be the of author man- of a book and some man will bring up a book and say, didn't you read blah, blah, blah. Have you seen those? We're like, <laughs> I know. I know. and they're like, yeah, I'm the person who wrote that book. Thank you very much. I heard this story recently about this professor. She attended this conference. I can't remember the, her name exactly, but let's say her name was Smith. You know, and she was in a conference and in the networking time, she had long hair. So she was covering her little tag. And this other professor, you know, she came across a professor. They started talking and then she's trying to say, you know, they're talking about a, a topic they both knew. And she's like, oh, this. And he's like, no, no, you're, you're wrong. That's not how it is. According to a Smith at all, this is how it works. And she's like, I know. And she removes your hair. I am a Smith from a Smith et al. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen that. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to like get you off track because I'm so interested in hearing your experiences as a woman, as una mexicana in different countries and how that was. Yeah, so like I say, being a woman in the corporate world, in a manufacturing environment, everywhere there is mansplaining. There is a lot of, what do you know? Especially when I was in my 20s and my 30s, you know, younger, they were like, who are you? What do you know? What's your experience kind of thing? You kind of learn to deal with that. I think the Mexican part, Germany, Germans were fascinated about my Mexican background. Like they were like fascinated. And it's kind of hard to, to wait on in Germany because I was working at university and universities tend to be very diverse. But that was probably the first time in my life that I was harassed for really? being Mexican. Yeah. And what is worse is I don't know German, so I can't defend myself. Like I'm so within like, the university or when you were like out in public no, places? I, yeah, the public place. So I was downtown Bremen. I was living in Bremen, Germany at the time. And um, I was waiting because I had to change trams to go. I had to take two from the university downtown and then downtown to where I live. And I'm there and this guy starts yelling at me. And I just don't know what he's saying, right? So I have a little bit of German, not a lot of it. So I look around and everything in Europe closes around 5 p.m. And it was already like 7 p.m. So it was dark outside. 
And I walk to this bakery and I tell the girl, like, was can I imagine? What can I do? And then she just looks at me, big visors next, I don't know. And she goes to the back and leaves me by myself with this guy yelling at me. So in that time, I see the tram coming on and I just ran to the tram and I'm like, surely this guy is not going to, you know, the driver's not going to let him in. And the guy didn't get in there, but that was enough to shake me a little. And then um, I do remember once too, I was in the tram and, this, you know, I was sitting there and this little girl in front of me, she must have been like four or five. She was with her mom. And she's just looking at me, like literally like turn around the whole way, just looking at me. And she asked me, but Mr. Brown, why are you brown? And I'm like, he finds his I don't know. <laughs> but it's sweet because, I, you know, she probably, she's not, obviously never seen anybody that looks like yes. you. Yeah, was just I, I, curious. I had this friend from Faroe Island. Faroe Island is a tiny little island north of Iceland. So it's a Danish island way out there in the north. And she told me when she's very, you know, blonde, blue eyes. We're still friends in Facebook. And she told me, Sandra, if you ever come to her island, people will want to touch your hair and they will like follow you because many of them have never seen a girl like you. Which for me, you know, in Mexico, you've been to Mexico. Everyone is the same. Like most people look the same, right? Variations of shade, but you know... You go to Mexico but, City, you see a lot of blonde hair, blue eyes. Yeah, well, you know. Monterrey too, Monterrey too. But I never felt like in Mexico there was like, now I can see there was a lot of colorism. <laughs> but I yeah, when I, I was, was about to say like. When, that, when, when I was that. living in Mexico, I just, all my friends looked like me mm-hmm. growing up, right? So I never felt like there was this diversity. I was never exposed to diversity in Mexico, to be honest. I don't think I was. So, so that was of that. Were there many Afro-Latinos that you were even exposed to where you grew up? No, not in Monterey, no. That no. is so crazy. I think more most Afro-Latinos in Mexico tend to live around Guerrero, that kind of side, so on the Pacific side. Uh-huh. Yeah, I didn't see that many. Even when I lived in Querétaro, that was a couple of hours north of Mexico City. Yeah, I don't think there were any Afro-Latinos there. They're a really small know, community, what- I think. And what that little girl said, right? And people not, that's why it's so important that we expose ourselves to other cultures, other people, yeah. people that don't look like us, people that don't sound like us, people that, because you don't know if you don't know, you don't know what you don't know, right? How can we build a, how can we be a true global citizen if we're not meeting people from other countries and cultures and everything like that? So Yeah, and I remember, so when I was living in the United States, I was working in, so I was doing my master's in Kansas State University, and I had a part-time job in the um, multicultural engineering program. So this was the program where they created all these events and support systems for Black, Hispanic, and, you know, Indigenous people. I remember I used to give this class, it was just like once a week or something, telling them about the resources that were available to them. And um, I mentioned one, it's really important to open your eyes to what's out there, right? By then I had lived in Germany. I was, was lucky enough to meet people from all over the world. Because when I came back to Mexico, I became kind of like an ambassador of the program in Mexico. So I got to meet all these people from all over the world. 
And I was saying something like that. And I remember a student asked me, why would I want to leave the United States if the United States is the best country in the world? And I say to him, how do you know if you've never been to any other country? How do you know it's the best? Because someone told you and you believe that? Like, how do you know? Yeah, we're, I mean, we are definitely bombarded with propaganda of the United States being the best country in the world from birth, right? We, mm -hmm. I mean, here, it's always about that. And you're right. If you never go anywhere else and you don't experience anything else for here, then when you're here, it probably is the best place in the world to it's all you, you know. It's because all that's you all know. you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wine break. Time to refill that glass and come back for more wine and cheese mix. Did you know that you can experience many of the wines I taste here on the Wine and Cheese My Podcast? I'm sure you're aware of how important it is to me to highlight wine brands that are owned by those in the Latinx community. That is why the last Wednesday of each month, we host a virtual wine tasting featuring Latinx owned wine brands. Whether you choose to partake in the tasting or just want to learn something about these vintners, If you enjoy wine, you will love these virtual events. Please visit thewineandcheesemetpodcast.com slash events for more information. Let's support our community and support these small vintners. So I know you've said you've kind of gone to all these places and you've experienced violence, frustration, sadness, and you said you were unsuccessfully chasing happiness in your corporate career. Yeah. I know you said you enjoyed what you were doing, but enjoying what you're doing and finding like and chasing happiness are two very different things. Yeah. So when you were making these moves and making these changes, what were you searching for that you were unable to find? And what made you decide like you worked in corporate for so long? What was the the light bulb moment for you that you were like, it's time for me to move on? It came down to I wasn't living a life with intention. So I grew up in a place where, you know, I was very much the people pleaser, where I was trying to make everyone happy but myself. I wasn't very, I didn't spend a lot of time asking myself what I wanted. I just pictured that life was going to happen for me, right? That I was going to get the house and I was going to get the husband and I was going to get the job and I was going to be happy. So I kept moving jobs and I kept moving countries and I kept moving towns and I kept moving companies thinking, well, this one didn't work out, but maybe the next one will. And maybe the next one will. And, maybe... and then finally, it was 2006. I was living in Canada already. I was feeling very frustrated because I couldn't keep a relationship. I'm like, okay, this is not working. It's been years of trying to get all of these things. And It was this conversation that was the beginning of the book, actually, I, this conversation I've had with a friend that said, Senator, you always tell me about all these things you want to do, and you never do any of them. I feel like you gave up in life. And I'm like, no, I did not give up in life. I'm actually working really hard. It's just not happening for me. Like, I'm working really hard at work, and I won't get the promotion. I'm working really hard at, you know, dating and trying to find a guy, but it's not working for me. And And that was the moment when I realized, okay, what is going on here? And then I overheard this conversation at work. We were having a party, so everyone was kind of like drinking around. And, and I was talking to the CFO of the company. And then he said, he told me the story of the president, that he used to be 
this guy that used to complain all the time. He was a junior marketer. He used to complain the all the time. The president of the country or the company you're working the company. for? Yeah. He stopped complaining one day. And five years later, he was the president of the company. And I remember hearing that. And I'm like, what? Here I am, super frustrated at work, putting long, long hours, not being recognized. And by the way, I was quite famous for complaining back then. So <laughs> I, I was really good at it too. And then he's telling me the story and I'm like, oh. And you know, it's one of those things you don't know what to do with it, but it just kind of hits you so much that you just kind of like, this means something, but I don't know what it is. I'm a huge believer that when you truly, truly ask and surrender, the answers will come, right? So yeah. I think that was when I reached a moment that I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know what else to do. I've been trying so hard. I don't know what else to do. So these comments came and a few weeks after I was working from home, which was really strange because it's 2006. People didn't work from home back then. And I'm watching TV and then Oprah comes on. They were talking about the secret and the law of attraction. And that was the first time I heard that you can create your own reality. And I remember hearing about it, you know, once my work was over, I went on the internet and started looking for it. I found the movie. I watched it. In the movie, there was Abraham Hicks, which is Esther and Jerry Hicks. And I became obsessed with them. I'm like, oh, my God, their message is so good. Like, they explain it so clearly. I used to so watch I, that movie once a month. I haven't watched it in a while. I think any, it's on Netflix, by the way, if anybody wants to watch The Secret. It's on Netflix. Yeah. So that was the beginning of it in 2006. So. I went and looked up Esther and Jerry Hicks on the internet. And sure enough, you know, they have all these page on events. And they were going to be in Toronto, Canada. I was in Toronto, Canada at the time. They were going to be in Toronto like a couple of weeks later. So I bought a ticket. I saddled the way to the front. And I listened for two days, Saturday and Sunday. You can create your own reality. And that was the beginning of it. Within five years, I had the job. I had the husband. I had the home. I had everything I wanted. So that's actually the first half of the book. That is, you know, clarity and collaboration, which is how do you collaborate with the universe to make it happen? And then commitment, because I believe that you got to take action. You cannot win the lottery if you don't buy a ticket. So true. So let me just say a lot of what you say resonates with me because I have so many times said like, this is not the job that I necessarily want. It pays the bills. It's okay. It's whatever. But is this really what I want to do? Have I, like, I'm 43. I'm still single. I don't have any kids. Like, I have been in relationships. It's been a while since I've been in a really, truly meaningful relationship. But I have thought all of those things. And I know I'm not the only one who has thought all of those things that you were saying you were thinking of. And it made me think of, like, one of the things that I've I know that I've manifested for myself or a few of the things was moving back to San Diego when I lived in Dallas. And then I said, I I eventually want to be back in San Diego. I know it's going to be more expensive. I literally manifested where I wanted to live without realizing how much I was doing it. Right. I said, I want to be close to downtown and I'm literally walking distance to downtown. I said, I know that it's probably going to be between this much and this much of my rent. And it falls within that range that I said it was probably going to be at. I had said, 
when I started this podcast that I wanted to start this virtual wine tasting. Now we have these virtual wine tastings with all of these different Latine vintners every month. And when you were saying like people always say they're going to do stuff and never do it. So literally last night I went to dinner with a friend and she said, we were talking about that. And another friend that we have, he was like, I remember when you were talking about your podcast and when I actually launched it, he's like, dude, you actually launched it. You know how many people say they're going to do things like that and never do it? You actually did it. And I was like, yeah, I actually did do it. But then there's still other things that I want to manifest for myself. And I, when I was reading like the intro, when you're talking about clarity, collaboration, and commitment, those are all about creation. Yeah. And I was like, that is so awesome about teaching you the steps of the law of attraction and how you use that intentionally. So without giving everything away, what are a couple of things that people can do with intention to create a life that they love and that loves them back? I would say three things are very important. Number one is become very clear because you cannot get to your destination unless you know the address. You know, sometimes clarity is a process and I understand that. But don't let the fact that you don't know all the pieces stop you from at least start taking some steps, right? Maybe you knew that you wanted to have a podcast, but you didn't know all the pieces, right? But maybe, you, you know, sometimes this is something Abraham says, when you know what you don't want, you know what you want. Give yourself permission to just start taking little steps. And if it doesn't work, then you try something else, right? Like you were saying, when you were younger, you say, what's the worst that can happen? I move back. You know, sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves. And then the other thing, so once you know what you want, take a step back and focus on why you want that. Because when you do that, two things happen. So the first thing, you remove a lot of resistance. Because when you focus on the what, like I want this specific brand of car, you start introducing so much resistance on, well, how is it going to come about? How am I going to afford it? Where is it going to come the money? But then when you take a step back, and it's like, you know what? I just want to feel freedom. I want to feel safe. I want to feel reliable. I want to feel like I can go places, you know, at the drop of the hat. And that's where you put your visualization. You focus on that. You focus on the why. And when you do that, number one, you remove resistance. And number two, you give permission to the universe to surprise you. Because our plans are always this small compared to the plans that the universe has for us. So when we allow the universe to bring to us what we, what is the best for us, Many times it's way bigger than what we imagine ourselves. So that's number one. Number two is you need to be in alignment in order to manifest. So your energy needs to be at the same level of what you want to manifest. And that is a high level. That is a high energy. Now, how do you keep optimism and happiness and joy when things are going to the crashes around you, right? When things are terrible. Yeah. What you do is you pay attention to the thoughts that you're telling yourself about the situation. And that's the step of curiosity. So the first part of the book is about the mechanics of how you manifest. The second part of the book is how you keep bringing yourself back up. That energy of alignment. I think that's the hardest part, right? Because it's easy it to say, I want this, I want this, I want this. And, and then when things don't go exactly, because I know I do that sometimes and I'm like, oh, and then I'm like, no, 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 I got to get rid of that thought. I got to get rid of that thought. And, 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 you know, the invitation there is become curious because many times what makes us, how do you know you are in high alignment? How do you know you are in alignment? 
usually you feel joy, you feel happiness, you feel happy, peaceful feeling within you. When you're feeling anything else other than that, like sadness and anger, that's when you are out of alignment. Now, it's hard to be in alignment when things are not going your way, when your family is like on your case or when your boyfriend breaks up with you or when, you know, they- Or you're 43 somebody... single and nobody wants to talk to you. Just <laughs> no, no, but, but then the situation is not what makes you mad or angry or sad. It's the thoughts that you have about the situation that you tell yourself, the stories that you tell yourself about the situation. Like, for example, if you're 43 and single and you feel sad about it, what are the stories that you're telling yourself? I, I, by the way, I didn't get married until I was 39, 38. My son was born when I was 39. So I know exactly. <laughs> but I'm not sad. You know, I'm actually, you know what? I will say this. I appreciate my singleness because I feel like, especially this last year, and I live alone. So girl, talk about like having <laughs> to figure out who the hell I am in a totally different way, right? I had to look at it as it's giving me the opportunity because I'm a super extroverted person, super. And I've realized that when I'm not feeling good, I go out so I can avoid it. Well, when you're in the middle of a pandemic and you can't go anywhere, you can't avoid it anymore. So I had to look at the blessing of that, right? Why this happened, not the pandemic, but just in regards to why, like the things I needed to work on on myself. And there's always something to work on, but I think it's definitely helped put me more in alignment with the things that I want to have because how, if I am not at that, like I can't expect somebody else to like come in with, if I want somebody of high value, I need to be of high value. Absolutely. You attract what you are. It is the truth. I'll give you an example of what happened to me right before the launch of my book. So my book came out April 27th. And a couple of months before my book came out, I started waking up at two in the morning with like anxiety. Oh my God, I just had this anxiety. And what I did is what I say in my book. Number one, I became very curious. What is that anxiety? What is the story that I'm telling myself that is making me anxious? And it took me a few days, but I finally realized that the story I was telling myself is that I wasn't doing enough. And then like an onion, I started feeling that story to see, okay, what's the real story? That's the story at the top. What's the real story inside? And I started removing the layers and there's an exercise in the book called The Onion. I realized that the thought at the very core of it is that I wasn't feeling enough. I was feeling like I wasn't enough to be launching a book. Like, who am I to be launching a book? So that was the first step, curiosity. Once I identified that thought, I just sat with that thought and I just gave myself tons of compassion and tons of love because that's a part of me that is still really, really, really scared about putting myself out there, about being vulnerable, about putting my story out there, putting a book out there. Who's going to read the book, right? So I just became very loving to the part of myself that was just feeling really, really scared about a dream that is really, really big for her, right? Yeah. And then with that, I just gave myself a ton of compassion. And then the, the last step is, I call it continuing in the book because I wanted all the steps with, to start with a C. <laughs> but it's really about awareness, right? Which yeah. is just become aware of those thoughts constantly, right? The reason why our energy tends to go high and down and high and down is because 
we wait too long before we realize that we're feeling like crap, <laughs> you know, but there are always little signs that are reminding us that there is something that we need to pay attention to. So whenever we have a, a feeling that feels uncomfortable, we just look back into that feeling and it's like, okay, what story am I telling myself? And then you start all the process again, right? The story, you become curious and you you give yourself a lot of compassion. I love like one of the first exercises you have, like at the very beginning, the biography exercise. Mm-hmm. Because it gives you a, it's like, that's your foundation from f- to go through the whole process. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what the biography exercise is and how did you even come up with that? Because I've heard a lot of things in regards to writing down your affirmations and writing down your, and writing, when you write your affirmations, writing them with intention as if it's happening, not, so, and that's something that I try and do, not like I've changed it, like wording sometimes of not from, I hope to when this happens, instead of, I hope this happens. I'm like, no, no, no. When this happens, you know, I try and, and you know, even more powerful is let's say, for example, I hope I get this number of revenue. And now you're saying, when I get this number of revenue, no, just say, I have this revenue. And then feel that That's feeling. That's good of having because that I need revenue. that for the podcast when I have Yeah, this, feel you know, that feeling of having that revenue. revenue. You know, I um I follow this teacher that I love. His name is Jerome Bragg. And he actually has this exercise where you every day you have to he starts increasing the amount. Like the first day is a thousand dollars, the second day is like ten thousand dollars, then it's a hundred thousand. And every day you have to literally come up with how you're going to spend that money. You have to spend all that money that year. And basically what it does, it starts connecting you with abundance because you're not worrying about how much I'm going to spend. I need to save some. No, you are asked to spend all the money. Obviously you don't have the money, but if you're mine, you imagine that you have the money, you plan how am I going to spend a thousand dollars and tomorrow you plan how am I going to spend a $10,000? Same thing with you. Like if you have an idea of I want X amount, you know, generate it, just start planning. What are you going to do with that money? Do spreadsheets of what are you doing with that money? You know, write paychecks and put them in your wallet. What are you going to do? Now, I'm a huge believer in all of these tools, visualization, affirmations, but they all come back to what they're doing is they're trying to bring your energy up. So I provide some more in the book on how to bring your energy up. But going back to the biography exercise, Many times the source of resistance is because we're not connecting with ourselves. The way the energy of the universe flows through us is through connecting with ourselves. So you want to feel in alignment? Yes, do the affirmation, do the visualization, do the you know, burning sage and the meditation and the yoga and all of those things. But do it because it feels good to you. Do it because it's authentic to who you are. Do yeah. it because it is the most loving thing you can do for yourself. Because when you do the most loving thing you can do for yourself, you are inevitably in alignment. And the biography exercise, what it reminds you is, why is your vision for your life? Not your parents' vision, not, you know, your husband's vision, not society's vision. It's your vision. Like, if you could dream anything, that's why the biography exercise is, you already live your life. You don't have to worry about, am I going to get it? Am I going to do it? It already happened. What is it? What is the place that you want to, who are you as a person that you want to be in this world? And once you know that, then 
it's so much easier to connect with who you really are. So it's a little bit of trying to help people connect with who they are yeah. and what is true for them. I really love that. I'm not, no joke. Like I am going to be going through and doing all of these exercises because there are still things that I want to manifest, right? There's still things that I want to do with my life. I'm only maybe halfway through my life. There's still so much more life to live. And I think that's another thing, right? It's never too late to start doing these things. Obviously, you can start really early, but I feel like so many of us get to a point where we're like, oh, I'm too old for this, but you're never too old for it, right? No, and, and here's the thing that I want people to understand. Your desires are not a coincidence. Your desires is your soul calling you to what the universe has planned for you. If you desire to have a partner or to have a home or to have you know abundance, that is where the universe is waiting for you. It's already over there saying, Chica, I'm over here waiting for you. What's taking you so long? But sometimes we, again, we come back to the stories. I'm too old. This doesn't happen to people like me. You know, I don't deserve those things. We come back to those stories. One of the things I say in the clarity exercise is allow yourself to dream as big as you can. Because when you're saying, you know what? I really, really want to have a million dollars a year, but instead of half a million, I'm just going to visualize 100,000 because that's doable. You're doubting yourself. You're introducing resistance to your desire. So the universe is over here with your half a million and you're like, nah, I'm just going to stay here with 100,000. So do you start with like the big dream or do you build up to that? I say start where your heart is calling you to. And don't think that because it's too big, it can't happen for you because that's where we ourselves we get between us and the universe. Yeah. And we are the ones. It's so I, I like to imagine, you know, this energy flowing that creates world as a river. And we're being asked to be this fish. They're just swimming downstream, like happily swimming downstream. But instead <laughs> we become beavers and we start building dams. I'm too old. This is too much. Oh, that's this such a good analogy. And now this river that is supposed to like flow like crazy into your life, this abundance of beautiful well-being, now it's just like this trickle <laughs> because we don't allow it to flow. And, you know, anything is possible. Anyone that all the success stories that we read in, in the news or that we see in Hollywood movies, it's just people that allow themselves to think that it was possible for them. Like they're coming up with the biopic, talking about my food industry background, of the guy that came up with the flaming Cheetos. I don't know if you know his story. He's from Mexico, right? Yeah. No, I don't know the full, I don't know, but I do know he's from Mexico. (laughs) Yeah. So he used to work in the plant and then they had this program in the company, Frito-Lay, where they say, okay, anyone can give ideas to senior management, right? So he brought all of these Cheetos that were not coated, he brought them home and he coated them with chili powder because he thought, why I am Mexican, why don't we have hot Cheetos, right? Yeah. So he brought them home and put them in these little baggies and sealed them. And then he called the president and he said, because that was a program, right? Anyone can get, I have an idea. 
So the secretary put her in contact with the administrative assistant, put her in contact with the president. And he said, I have this idea. So he's like, can you fly here? Because these guys are over in Texas. And he's like, yeah, sure, I'll get on a plane. So he goes, he shows it. I think he's the head of R&D now. He's the head of innovation now for the company. So let so me tell was- you, I, before the chips came out, not the flaming hot ones, because now like Doritos oh, has, that. yeah, like Doritos has like the tapatio ones and stuff. So that's what I used to do. I used to get, and before Flaming Hot Cheetos came out, and I still do this because I don't always want Flaming Hot Cheetos. Sometimes I want with Tapatio and Limon. So yeah. I would put the Cheetos or the Doritos or whatever. My mouth is watering saying this. I know. And I don't buy chips. So I have no chips in my house to go to right after this. But I do have popcorn and I do have hot sauce. And, tapatio. Yeah, Tapatio. But... That's what I would do. I would get the the Doritos or the Cheetos or whatever, limon, tapatio, mix it up and go to town before. The, yeah. So when Flaming Hot Cheetos came out, I was so excited. Then I saw, we went to like the river, um, the Brazos River in, in Texas. We're at the gas station and I saw Doritos with tapatio. And I was like, nah, I've been doing this since like forever, since I was like in high school or junior high. Yeah. And somebody finally like put it through, but it didn't taste the same. I mean, it was still good, but I still like putting the tapatio and limon on it myself. I like it better, but that's crazy. I mean, I think I love when you're talking in the book, you're also talking about specificity (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. about being specific for what you want, because if you're not specific about what you want, if you're just like, I want to have abundance, that's like going to a restaurant and saying, I want food. Like, I love that analogy. Yeah, they're going to bring you something. But is it what you're craving? Is it what's going to make you happy? What if you have allergies and you can't eat that? You want to do something else. You know, sometimes the universe will bring you exactly what you want. Exactly what you ask for. And I remember when I was dating, I seriously, I, I sometimes think what I was asking for was anyone with, you know, with a pulse. And that was exactly what I was getting. You know, it was until I started to become very honest with myself about the kind of man that I wanted in my life, the kind of relationship that I wanted to have, the kind of life that I envisioned for myself, that then it became so much easier to pick that person, right? Or to, but here's the thing too. We may say, I want this, but then we behave as if we don't because, oh, I really want a good guy. And then this guy that is not a nice person asks you out and you're like, yes, then do you really want a nice guy? I was was telling this to to a friend of mine. I'm like, so many times we say, I want this, but then our decisions, our actions show that's not what you want. Girl, let me tell you. I feel like I've been saying that a lot. Let me tell (laughs) you. So... Just because I can relate so much to everything that you're saying, like you're saying it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have a story for that. Oh my gosh, I have a story. <laughs> like I just relate to it so much because at the end of 2020, I decided to let go. I was dating a couple of guys and I decided to end those relationships because I was like, those relationships aren't serving me. And I had written down with my business coach, I'd written down like five, my five non-negotiables. Non-negotiables were not counting, like, obviously you need to be physically attracted to them and vice versa, like not that kind of stuff, but more like 
What are my five top things that are non-negotiable? And so I wrote those down. And then as I was progressing, I was like, so mine are humor because I, to me, I love to laugh. And if you cannot find humor in life, then I can't be with you, right? Yeah. Having a passion outside of themselves because I have a passion. Like I love doing the podcast. I love amplifying voices that come out of communities of color. I love wine. Like I am passionate about these things. It's very, very important. And then I put somebody who my family would love because obviously being Latina, I am, not every family is close. I am close with my family. It's very important to me that they love my family and my family loves them. That's Mm -hmm. super important to me because I do spend a lot of time with, I'm an hour and a half from my parents. Thankfully, you know, just enough space. Just close enough. (laughs) Exactly. Just close enough where we can go anytime, but far enough away. But I live far away for a really long time. So that doesn't bother me. Somebody who has good communication skills. So even if you're not like a huge communicator, you're willing to work on it. Because I am definitely that over communicator where if I feel like something's off, I'm going to ask you about it. I'm not going to hold it in. That's with all my relationships, with my friendships, with romantic, with my family. I'm like, what's wrong? Is everything okay? Are you blah, 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 you know? Hence, Mm -hmm. having a podcast works very well for me. (laughs) (laughs) But having these things down, and I was looking at what I had written down versus the people that, the couple guys that I was dating. And I was like, is this matching up? And it wasn't. So at the end of 2020, I let that go. And I let those relationships go. And I haven't even dated anybody since. And I've been very, like, I've been asked out a couple of times, but then I go back to those things, right? And what I know about you right now, and I make that decision. Like, is this lining up with the things that are most important to me? And if it's not, then why am I going to waste my time? Why am I waste your time and my time? Because- And I think also you're sending the message to the universe of the universe is going to keep bringing you people. And you oh, go, girl, and I was tested. This. The universe was testing me. Like I had let go of coming back in, trying to say, and I'm like, no, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. And I'm like, damn, the universe, universe you're really you trying people. to test me. <laughs> and then you say, not this guy, not this guy. And then the universe is taking notes. It's like, okay, not that guy. What about this? Okay, not this guy. Okay, what about this? Okay, not this guy. What about this? And it just, that's how it works. The other thing that I will do. So I love also the fact that you are already visualizing a life with them. And you're like, for me, it's important that they are going to fit in in the family event. You know, in La Quinceañera, they are going to be like having a blast. I, For me, it's important that we're going to have this communication. So you build this list based on the life that you want to lead, which I think is the best way to build a list about a partner. And now it's just allowing yourself the ideas that might come to you or where you might meet these guys or where they might happen. And then if you one day have an idea, maybe I should like sign up for a spin class, like co-ed a spin class. Maybe. Why not? Like the universe will, once we become very clear on what we want, the universe starts sending us hints. And what I find fascinating, I've seen it several times in my life, is that sometimes the universe will take you a different path that you never thought about. And that's exactly the path that you're supposed to take. So when I was living in Kansas, I had a boyfriend there. Uh, he lived in Kansas as well, in Lawrence, Kansas. And then we ended up breaking up right before I finished grad school. So I was looking for a job and I already had an offer 
with a company in Arkansas. And we ended up breaking up and I was kind of freaking out because I'm like, I don't want you to leave. This was before the law of attraction. So I'm like, <laughs> no, don't leave me. And then I'm like, you know what? I can't move to Arkansas. I have to get a job in Kansas. If I want us to get back together, I have to get a job in Kansas. So I had been looking for jobs in Kansas for a long time. And all of a sudden, a job in Kansas showed up. And that was like the best salary, the best job. I got that job, right? And now I was half an hour from him. Long story short, never talked to the guy again. Never did. But that was the job that moved me to Canada in 2003. And I met my husband in 2004 in Canada. Oh, my gosh. Sandra, let me just tell you, I can talk to you forever about this. I... <laughs> I'm enjoying this conversation so much. I legit do not want it to end. And I'm like, no, I can't believe it's already been like, it just, I don't know how we talk so long because it does not feel like that at all. Like it, no, it feels like, it's a wine it's, probably. <laughs> yeah, it feels like, so it's just flown by, but I want to give you the opportunity to share again. The name of the book is Chica. Why not? Where yep, can people I'll find your book? How can they get it? It's super cute. It's like this light blue. We'll, you know, we'll make sure to put, where can people purchase the book and where can they find you on social media? Yep. So they can find me on Instagram and in Facebook. It's Sandra Hinojosa Logwi. And my book is called Chica, Why Not? How to Live with Intention and Manifest the Life that Loves You Back. It's for sale anywhere where books are sold. So I was very lucky. That was another thing I manifested. I manifested an amazing publisher. So my book is published by Hay House. And it is for sale anywhere where books are sold. If they go to my website, sandrinojasalotwick.com, they can actually sign up for the bonus gifts. So I have the meditations that I have in the book. I have them as guided meditations in there. Really good meditation for manifesting is in there. So make sure to check that out. There is also some companion videos. So I go in a little bit more depth in those videos about the chapters. And there is also a workbook. So if you don't want to do all the exercises in the book, you can actually get the workbook and do them in there. I am going to sign up online and we're going to put the link to your website on the show notes as well. But question, I know it's called Chica, why not? Is this something that would work well for men? Like, can men follow this yeah. book as well? Yeah, it will work for everybody. And you know, the reason I call it Chica, why not? When and I started, they, them, obviously we want to include. And our, they, them, they, everybody, they, them. everybody. Yeah. The reason I call it Chica Why Not is because when I started studying the law of attraction and then later on, you know, healing and alignment and all of those things, most of the books I wrote, I, I read at the time were by either white male or white women. And I really wanted a book that spoke to Latino women, that spoke to Latino people. So all of my stories about growing up in a Mexican family and looking at the world with my Mexican lens and even the cover, like I really wanted to reflect that Latinidad in it. And even, you know, and the my name shirt, of it. the shirt that I took earlier to the, to get hemmed. Cause it was a little too long. Is it the exact color of your book? Yeah. I love that color. <laughs> you know, I'm so proud and happy with my publisher because, you know, at the end of the day, they're a business, right? So they want to sell the most books. And here I am saying it's going to be in Spanglish because it has tons of Spanglish in there. And it's going to be called Chica, why not? And it's going to be a Mexican looking cover. And they're like, sure. So Look I at the really assertiveness coming out now. 
<laughs> you didn't have it going to, going to the university, but you sure have it in spades now, girl. You know what? It's been years of connecting back to who I am and who I want to be in this world and what is important to me, right? For me, I wanted a book that is fucked to all of those Latinas out there. You talk about family being important to us. It is really important to us. None of the books that, that you read about the law of attraction talk about that. How do you become come back in alignment when your tias are constantly telling you, when are you getting married? <laughs> just so Girl, my, mujer, my family has stopped asking me that. <laughs> you know what? I got to tell you, so my dad passed away in 2008, but when I was, um, he always said when we got married, he was going to give us money to like start our lives as a married woman. So my sister, I was the oldest, so my sister got married before me, right? And one day he just said, Oh, so you, since you're never going to get married, I'm just going to give you the money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, sure. Girl, thanks. <laughs> thanks a lot. No, my mom tells us because I'm the oldest of three. My middle sister has four kids, four boys, and me and my youngest sister don't have any kids. And so my, we have dogs. I have one dog. My youngest sister has three dogs. And so my mom would, she would say, well, I guess since I'm not going to have any more grandkids, I'm like, yeah, probably not. <laughs> like it just. True story. When I told my mom I was going to get married, she started screaming like, oh my God. And my, my grandma was still alive. She's like, oh my God, oh my God, she's getting married. She's getting married. And I could hear my grandma was, was living with my mom. I could hear my grandma in the background say, bless Jesus. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Oh you my know God, what? You guys. The day that happens, if I, you know, no, not if, like the day that happens where I meet that person and they, you know, I think my parents will just, because it's very important to me that whoever I am with, that man that I'm with, asks my parents for my yeah. hand in marriage. Like my parents should know that I'm getting engaged before I know, I feel like. Mm -hmm. So that's very important to me. And they will probably, I can only imagine my parents would probably hug that person so hard because be like, you're willing to put up with her. <laughs> yes. Then we like, we're so grateful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how I felt. Like my grandma was like, it's a miracle. Bless Jesus. Like, That's hilarious. Come on. Come on. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sandra, thank you so, so much. Before we end, we always begin with the wine and end with the wine. So I know you have this ice wine, but what is your normally like your favorite type of wine? Red, white, sparkling, rosé. And do you have a particular brand that you normally like or type? I really like Pinot Grigio and Riesling. And I usually, I really like California wines and I really like German wines as well. Nice. Well, when you're in the States, you'll have to join us for one of our virtual wine tastings. Yes, we'll do. We so, just got to get over this COVID thing so we can yeah. open the border again. How is it in, in Canada? How are things going over there? It is getting there. So vaccination is starting to pick up. But unfortunately, we have really high cases right now. So we're back in lockdown in Ontario and the border is closed. So if I leave Canada, when I come back, I have to quarantine for two weeks. Gotcha. So that's why I'm not leaving Canada anytime soon. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being on here and talking to you. Like I said, I do not want this conversation to end, but I need to be respectful of your time and the time of everybody else listening. But this has just been so wonderful. 
I just need to fun. tell you that Thank this you. has been so, so wonderful. And you guys make sure, like I said, all of her social media and the book link, her website will be in the show notes. Please make sure to reach out to her, follow her, order her book, and let us know what happens. Let us know what happens. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I really need to know how it goes with your manifesting. So let me know. Well, stay stay that. on here. And we're going to talk right after I end this. So until next time, mi gente. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Chisme on Instagram and at The Wine and Chisme Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more.